Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, praise the Lord. He's worthy, isn't he? And his name is above every name. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord one day. But I'm grateful to be able to gather with many of you that already are willing to confess his lordship, the reality of his kingdom. And today I'm honored and privileged to close out this series This five-week series, What Would Jesus Undo? And the Lord has helped me even remember to keep wearing my bracelet. And um, we're going to conclude today. That being said, I'm going to ask, we don't always uh, ask this, but I am today. I'm going to ask, if you don't mind, all to stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read a large passage from Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. So he, he being Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Him. He began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many leopards were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet. And none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name, your Holy Spirit would anoint your word, that you would allow it to pierce our hearts, that it would have entrance into our lives, that Christ would be revealed. 
We thank you, Jesus, that you are Lord and your kingdom is at hand and you have disarmed principalities and powers and demons, but you have defeated them and the blood of Jesus has broken provided for every curse to be broken. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that today that victory would be applied, that your working would prevail. We'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today I want to minister a message as we conclude this series titled, Upon Me. Will you say that with me? Upon Me. I want to ask you up front today this question. Have you ever felt like you are trying to build a life upon you? Maybe let me ask it in another way. Are you today trying to build a life upon you? And if you are seeking to build a life upon you, the question then remains... What is upon you to help you build a life upon you? Let me ask it again. What is upon you to help you build a life upon you? For those who are feeling or seeking to build a life upon them, they need to be clear on the answer of the question. Then what is upon you to help you? Today, we hear that there is good news. There is good news because there is another way to build a life. This is one of the reasons Jesus came. Notice Jesus in our main text said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus didn't say, My Spirit is upon me. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus here is telling us that there's another way to build a life. Now here in our text at Luke 4, the backstory is Jesus has not long before this moment went to the Jordan to be water baptized by his cousin John, known as John the Baptist there at the Jordan. And as Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And a voice speaks from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus then is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where He fasts and prays for 40 days. At the end of it, He's tempted by the devil and He overcomes the temptations that Adam in the garden and Eve in the garden failed. The temptations that all man failed in, Jesus succeeded in the place of prayer and fasting in the wilderness over them. Scripture says he then leaves the wilderness, not just with the Spirit upon him, but then he is filled with the power of the Spirit. He goes into the synagogue, and we pick it up that Luke says in Luke 4.16, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. When I think about this series, What Would Jesus Undo? The first thing I want to apply from our text today is number one, Jesus would undo from our lives every custom of ours that is contrary to His kingdom customs. Notice the text says that Jesus had a custom. And His custom was is that He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus had a custom to gather with God's people. Jesus had a custom. 
And the amazing thing is, is that Jesus' customs provided a context that served Him as He served the Father. Many of you, what you're facing is, is you have customs and habits that are not serving you and helping you serve the Father. Your customs and your habits are actually providing a context of making it easier for you to seek to serve yourself or to build a life upon you. Today though, Jesus would undo that from us. That He would say, there's another way, I have good news. That there are customs that I can give you. There are habits I can form in your life that provide a context that help you better serve the Father's will for you. See, Jesus' customs will do the same for you. They'll create a context in your life that serves you and empowers you to better obey the Father. Too many of us have customs that make us vulnerable to serving ourselves instead of serving the Father. And Jesus would undo that from our lives. Notice it says that He came to where He'd been brought up. So often these customs that don't serve and help us in serving the Father, but they're customs that actually seek to serve us trying to build a life upon ourselves. They're customs that come from the way we've been brought up. They're customs that come from where we've been brought up. They're customs that are of the world. They're customs that are built upon self. And Jesus would undo such from our lives. He would want to provide for us His kingdom customs. Customs that would help create in our life a better context to be empowered to obey the Father. Secondly, we see the text then says in verse 17, and as he was there in the synagogue, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The second thing I want to apply from our text today to our lives is Jesus would undo your Bible from being closed. When you think about the question, what would Jesus undo? I can assure you that one of the things He would undo is your scripture, your Bible remaining closed. Notice the text says He found the place where it was written. Now this is important because if you're not familiar with scripture and uh, you're not familiar with the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has 66 chapters. Meaning that scripture is trying to tell you that Jesus didn't get lucky finding this scripture. Jesus knew where this scripture was because he was well acquainted with the scriptures. He opened to Isaiah 61 and quoted the verse because he knew the book of Isaiah and he was well acquainted with scripture. Which leads me to ask myself, to ask us, to ask you the question, can you find the place where it is written? Jesus could find the place where it was written. But can you find the place where it's written? You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Chad? Can you find the place where it's written why you live the way you live? Can you find the place where it's written your purpose and why you were created by God? Can you find the place where it's written the priorities that God has for you? Can you find in where it's written in God's Word His identity 
His purpose, His acceptance of you. Notice Jesus found the place where it was written. You and I need to find the place where it's written. Why do we do what we do? Why do we have the customs that we have? Why do we have the habits that we have? If we can't find where it's written, then we can have no assurance that the customs and the habits in our life are not just because we've been brought up this way or we just was came from this place, but yet are not kingdom customs. Things that would help provide a context for us to serve the Father. Jesus would loose you from looking elsewhere. From looking elsewhere outside of Scripture to find your identity that God has for you in Christ. Jesus would loose you from looking elsewhere, from trying to look to the world to find the priorities and the main purposes of your life, of trying to find acceptance and value. Jesus would loose you from looking elsewhere than from God's Word, the unchangeable, infallible Word of God. A Word that doesn't change no matter how we feel, no matter the culture of the year we live in. Jesus would loose us from looking elsewhere. Hosea in 4.6, God said through the prophet, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You've heard me say many times that being the people of God is not enough. It's not enough in order to experience God's will. That just being a child of God is not enough to experience God's best for your life. That without the knowledge of where is it written, without being able to find it in Scripture, we can be destroyed. Our life can still be destroyed. Ephesians 5.10, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says you got to find out what the will of the Lord is. you got to find out what's acceptable to the Lord. You don't just luck into it. You don't just fall into it. you got to find it out. And that's why Jesus would undo our Bible from being closed so that we could find out God's will for us. We could find out the identity He's proclaimed over us. We could find out the priorities that He would want for us. We could find out kingdom customs that God has designed that would make it easier for us to obey the Father. So number one, Jesus would undo from from our lives every custom of ours that is contrary to His kingdom customs. Secondly, Jesus would undo your Bible from being closed. Thirdly, Jesus would undo, undo our own spirit being upon us and put the spirit that is upon him on us. Notice in verse 18 in our text, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Listen, Jesus did not seek to fulfill his mission nor minister to others in his own power, in his own spirit, by his own humanity. No, no, no. Jesus had the spirit of the Lord upon him. The spirit of God empowered him to fulfill His kingdom purpose. The Spirit of the Lord empowered him in order to serve people. Jesus did not fulfill the Father's good pleasure for him in his own humanity, in his own human sufficiency. No, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, empowering him to manifest the kingdom, to manifest the Father, to manifest the works of God. Therefore, think about it. He would undo us from seeking to fulfill our kingdom purpose and serve others depending upon our own spirit, our own humanity, our own ability, our own sufficiency, our own power. Think about this, friends. If Jesus needed the Spirit of God upon Him, how much more do we? 
See, Jesus was born of the Spirit from birth. But if you're born again today, you didn't start off born again. You and I weren't born of the Spirit from birth. We had to get born again. We had to be regenerated by the mercy of God. We had to be made a new creation. And yet if Jesus who was born of the Spirit from birth needed the Spirit of the Lord to come upon Him to empower Him to fulfill God's kingdom assignment and minister to others, how much more you and I, you and I need the Spirit of God to be upon us. If Jesus could not fulfill the Father's purpose for Him without the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need the Spirit of God to be upon us. So Jesus would undo us from building a life by our own spirit, off of our own intellect, off of our own human achievement and ability, from trying to build a life on our own ability, our own humanity. No, Jesus would undo that from us and remind us that no, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. That's what enabled him to obey the Father, to fulfill the Father's kingdom purpose for him, likewise for us. Jesus then, as he receives the scroll, he turns to Isaiah 61, and he declares the purposes of why the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. See, Scripture instructed him the truth regarding what he experienced. Remember I said that right before this text that Luke records, Jesus was water baptized by his cousin John and when he came up out of the waters, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's called an experience with God. But Jesus allowed the truth of God's Word to inform him about the experience. Experiences that can't be informed by the truth of God's Word should be suspect. Jesus had an experience, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Him, but He was able to find Scripture inform and instruct Him regarding what the purpose of that experience was. And what does He say in verse 18? He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. He has empowered me to preach the gospel to the poor. Fourthly, from our text today, Jesus would undo you from the curse of poverty. You say, why? Listen, Proverbs 10, 15 says, The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Poverty is not God's will. God, when He created mankind, He didn't create mankind to be poor. It's a lie that poverty equates to godliness. I know a lot of poor people who are wicked. I've seen a lot of poor people who are ungodly. Poverty does not equate to godliness. See, think about this. God gave you and I talents. He wired us. He gave us personalities that have certain strengths, inclinations to, to be able to 
see things or accomplish things more than others that have a different personality than us. But the reason God gave us talents is He gave us talents to use. And in the using of such talents, they lead us to being provided for and not being poor. When you look at the beginning and you find from the beginning God's original intent, His desire for you and I and mankind, He created an earth that abounded with abundance. It abounded with provisions. Adam and Eve in the garden, and as they looked around, they had no lack. God had provided them what they need. Poverty is a curse. But the good news of the kingdom is Jesus. In Jesus, God made a way to break curses and the curse of poverty off of humanity. Oftentimes, due to a lack of education, and I don't mean formal education of schooling, but oftentimes just due from a, a lack of learning, of knowledge. That lack of learning or knowledge or education strangles people's talents. And their talents being strangled, they're not free to utilize their talents that would meet their needs. Sometimes poverty is because a lack of character can hinder opportunities for our talents to be used. That's why Solomon said he went on a walk and he went by the lazy man's field. And he says it was all overgrown with thorns. And he says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Sometimes poverty is because God created the home and the, the forming of marriage, one man and one woman, His design to create a context for godly seed to be raised. But oftentimes, because of sin and the curse, people don't come from a home that's like a nest that helps prepare them to fly. There's been a failure to thrive in our nation when you go against the design of God. And unfortunately, because of sin and the curse, many people grew up in a home that it wasn't like a nest. It was filled with thorns. It was a home filled with curses. Curses that began to imprint wrong thinking and harm and hurt people's soul and their life. And those thorns, those curses choke the potential in people. But the good news, Jesus shows up. It's the good news is through Christ we have been redeemed from the curse. God's made a way to break the curse of poverty off people's lives. Oftentimes it's also thinking. This is why people can get a windfall of money, whether it's a contract in the NBA or Major League Baseball or winning the lottery and they find themselves more poor at the end of that journey. Because you can have the curse of poverty on the way you think about money. And why is this important? I'll tell you why. A person consumed with trying to survive seldom thinks about others. A person consumed with just trying to survive seldom is able to help others thrive. Think about this. A person drowning is not in much of a position to save and help another. Have you ever been at the ocean and you've seen an alarm, an emergency of someone drowning out there? Well, that person drowning out there in the ocean isn't in much of a position to help others who are drowning. 
Paul tells the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. You know why poverty is a curse? Because poverty keeps you from experiencing the benefit and the joy of being used of God to bless another person. Poverty by very definition is a state or condition of having little or not many goods or supplies. And if you have little or none money, then you can't be an instrument to bless others with money. So God didn't create you to be poor. And in Jesus, He can break poverty thinking. He can break curses that hold you back from using your talents and jobs for the glory of God that would provide needs for your life. Jesus shows up, he said, there's good news for the poor. Doesn't matter how you got in this state through Jesus, God has made a way to get us out of that state. Fifthly, Jesus would undo from you, would undo you from your emotional wounds. Notice he then says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. This is an interesting thing because Jesus here seems to show a progression. So often you know that many people are not open to things of the reality of Jesus because they are just looking to survive daily. And that's why in the beginning Jesus says, The Spirit is upon me to preach the the gospel to the poor, to tell them that their situation can change through God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because as their daily needs are met and they're not consumed and self-consumed with their own needs, then they become more open Because they know that God cares about what they're going through. And then as they experience God's care and what they're going through, then God can begin to minister deeper in their life to their emotional needs. So notice Jesus moves from the physical needs of poverty to then the emotional needs. I'm all for feeding the poor. I'm all for helping the poor. But you got to see that that's not the end result. Giving a man a fish but never equipping him to be able to fish is not the end result of God. That God wants us to meet the poor where they're at and to show them through practical expressions God's care and compassion to then open them up for them to know that God cares more than just about the physical. He cares about what's going on in their emotional world. That God is a God that can still heal the broken hearts. Why is this important? Because pain will cause further pain when not healed. You and I, we look around the world and it's so easy to see the pain of the world. But what's not so easy is to recognize that our own pain, if not healed, will create further pain in this world. Unresolved pain, pain that isolates, pain not dealt with well, will cause further pain. And the good news of Jesus and the good news of the kingdom of God is that He heals the brokenhearted. That God in Christ can heal the broken places of our emotions, our damaged emotions. Sometimes our heart's not healed because we do not address it. But pain not addressed will cause further pain. God revealed Himself through His names and because God is so multifaceted, He's so amazing. He's so dynamic. He revealed Himself through many names, but one of the names He revealed Himself through in the Old Testament and ultimately fulfilled through Jesus, He says, I'm Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. 
See, think about this. God is your creator. And therefore, He created your entire spirit, soul, and body. He created your emotions. And because God is your creator of your spirit, soul, emotions, and body, therefore, God can heal you. He can heal your spirit. He can heal your soul. He can heal your emotions. He can heal your body. Why? Because He created them all. This is why in Jesus He's provided restoration for our entire being. Is anybody thankful that salvation in Jesus is not just for the Spirit? It's not just for heaven one day. But that Jesus through the ministry of the Spirit of God can heal the broken heart and He can heal our emotional wounds. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who knew no brokenness, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus' heart burst on that cross so that God through Christ by the power of the Spirit can heal our broken heart. Jesus still heals emotional wounds. He can do it today for you. So number one, Jesus wouldn't do from our lives every custom of ours that it's contrary to His kingdom customs. Secondly, Jesus would undo your Bible from being closed. Thirdly, Jesus would undo our own spirit being upon us and put the spirit that is upon Him upon us. Fourthly, Jesus would undo you from the curse of poverty. Fifthly, Jesus would undo you from your emotional wounds. And then next, Jesus would undo you from bondages that keep you captive. Notice He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Here we see in these first three declarations, God's concern with the body, God's concern with the poor, God's concern with the soul and the emotions, but yet also God's concern with our spiritual life. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring redemption, to bring the rule of God, to bring the kingdom of God, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus would undo us from spiritual captivity. Paul in Ephesians 6 and verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age. Watch this. Against spiritual. That's spirits. Spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Dr. Luke, when he summarizes the ministry of Jesus, the ministry that we're talking about today, where he goes in and says, this is why the Spirit of the Lord is upon me in Acts 10 and 38. He says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How, and he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. What is this? This is demonic activity. This is demonic bondages. This is the reason some have addictions. Some have habitual sins. They have strongholds. You have strongholds in your life. It's because a demon spirit is holding you captive. But Jesus shows up and He begins to declare the good news. And He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set the captives free. I'm reminded of a story in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Dr. Luke gives the account of Paul and some of 
members of his ministry team and they're ministering and it says in Acts 16 and verse 16 once when we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. That's called habitual. That's what demon spirits will do is they will enslave people in habitual sins and addictions. But watch this. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit. He didn't say to the girl because the girl was under the habitual sin and bondage of spiritual captivity of this demon. And he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Here we're talking about that Jesus can liberate the spiritual captives. He can liberate people from addictions and demons that enslave people. I think about how she was a slave of men and being a slave of men then caused her also to be a slave of a demon spirit, a spirit of divination. And I thought about how this applies to so many, so many brothers and sisters, so many believers, that they're a slave to the fear of man. They're a slave to the opinion of man. They're a slave to the opinion of this culture. They're a slave to the opinion of men who in their wisdom don't know God, hasn't found God. And because they're a slave to the opinion of man, it leads them to become a slave to demon spirits. And Jesus says the good news is He can liberate the captives. The spirit of wisdom in Proverbs 29 and 20. 29, 25 says, the fear of man, watch this, brings a snare. Fearing man, fearing the opinions of man, fearing the culture opinions of man leads to a snare. It leads to a demonic captivity. And people of God can be in captive because they fear the intimidation and the opinions of a culture that is on a track to a train wreck following lawlessness of the enemy. Jesus offers us another way. So Jesus would undo us from our spiritual captivity. Seven, the next thing I would apply into our lives from this text is Jesus would undo you from blindness. Notice Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. See, listen, it's hard to have progress without seeing. And God desires you to move forward in His plan for your life. God desires for you to move forward in the purposes that He has for your life. But it's hard to move forward if we can't see. And so Jesus says one of the purposes of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to undo us from blindness. What is this blindness? Blindness causes a lack of purpose a lack of vision, a lack of being able to see reality, to see the reality of how the wor world works, to see the reality of ourselves, our needs. Pastor Craig mentioned, maybe some of you, in order for you to 
be aware that you need more of God, maybe you need more needs. But blindness keeps us from having healthy self-awareness. Lack of vision, a lack of purpose. And Jesus would undo that blindness from us. God didn't create us to stay stagnant. He didn't create us so we could just live life aimlessly. You're created with divine purpose. And God's got divine direction available. And that's why Jesus says the Spirit of the Lord is upon Him to undo us from such blindness. Number eight, Jesus would undo you from oppression. Notice He says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now listen, oppression here is different than spiritual captivity. I want to read the definition of oppression. Oppression is the exercise of power in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust manner. Subjecting to cruel or unjust impositions or restraints. Notice that word restraints. The feeling of being heavily burdened mentally or physically by troubles and adverse conditions. Oppression is outward circumstances that constantly afflict and oppress us mentally or emotionally, but it's an outward oppression. Spiritual captivity is an inward captivity. But oppression is when we keep facing obstacles or circumstances that keep trying to oppress and afflict us, restrain us. And see, oppression not addressed will most likely lead to depression. See, the enemy who hates you, who hates the enemy of your soul, who hates your life, his tactic is to use oppression to lead to depression. I want you to think about the word depression. Depress. It comes from the very idea of something being pressed. It's not moving forward, it's not free, it's depressed, it's being pressed. Meaning, depression is when the resolve that God wants for us, this desire, the belief that things can get better, that gets depressed. That's why when you're depressed, if you've ever experienced seasons like that, you you lack motivation, you lack that tomorrow can be different, you lack that you can have a better future, because oppression... Facing the same situation, the same setback, the the same thing that afflicts you and and makes you feel restrained. Time and time and time again, the enemy wants to use that restraint to depress your resolve that things can get better. But I'm telling you, we serve a God of true hope. We serve the God that causes the sun to come up day after day. And His mercies are new. And God, because He's a God of true hope, tells us that tomorrow can be different than our today and our past. So Jesus would undo us from such oppression. Number nine, Jesus would undo your gaze if it is not fixed on Him. After Jesus declares the primary purposes of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and why the Spirit of the Lord was upon Him and how He was going to practically and through demonstration declare that the kingdom of God is at hand, it says in verse 20, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue 
were fixed on him. See, Jesus desires to undo such things that we've talked about up to this point. And Jesus desires to undo those things because then the Father's desire is after you experience such a miracle, you would desire to keep your eyes on Jesus, the one who did the miracle in your life. The reason Jesus desires to undo such things in our life is so then we would fix our eyes on Him who did what no other hand of man could do in our life. We sought help elsewhere. But it was Jesus. It was Jesus who brought the breakthrough in our life. In hopes that now we would fix our eyes on Jesus. On His beauty. On Him who has all authority and power. Him who is King of the kingdom and the rule of God. That we would fix our eyes on Him. It's interesting because we'll see here in the text that Jesus talks about Elijah and Elisha. And he says how Elijah was sent to one widow and Elijah was sent to Naaman. This is interesting because you know I've experienced a lot of pushback over the years from brothers and sisters that are still immature and understanding about the prophetic sending of God. Meaning oftentimes brothers and sisters when they begin to experience their spiritual gifts the excitement of experiencing their spiritual gift gets them so excited that they think then every other brother and sister is to be doing what they're excited about and what God's called them to do. The question is, is how did Elijah and Elijah know what God specifically was sending them to do? Because mature believers grow in fixing their eyes on Jesus so long that as they fix their eyes on Jesus and grow in fellowship with Jesus, they then see in the eyes of Jesus what He's sending them to do. See, God has placed us in the body, and He's placed us in the body as different members, meaning we're all not to be sent to do the same thing. We're all under the same banner of the Lordship of Jesus and we're all a part of the overall process of making mature disciples that leads to multiplication. But the exact way we're sent to do that is different. But the only way you and I can ultimately know our spiritual gifts and what we're sent prophetically and by the anointing to do is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. So Jesus would... Undo your gaze if it's not fixed on Him. Fixing our gaze on Jesus is not burying our head in the sand. We're aware that curses seek to spread on the earth and the devil seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And There's oppression and injustice and suffering. We're aware of that. But if you focus on that, you'll never find where the empowerment comes from to in order to actually bring true change to those things. And that's why Scripture says we're never to get focused on those things. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus and then He begins to equip and prepare us on how we're specifically sent to be light and hope. In God's kingdom, 
to the things in this world that need to be changed. Hallelujah. Then number 10. Jesus would undo you from a false understanding of sovereignty. Who's ever coming up on the keys or playing and you can come at this time? Look at verse 21 of our text. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Watch this. So all those in the synagogue, the people of God, of the old covenant, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his here we see the last point that I want to apply to our lives today in this congregation today is Jesus would undo you from a false understanding of sovereignty. Sovereignty is the definition. By definition is the quality of state of being sovereign. Well, that don't help me much <laughs> when they give definitions like that, right? Because the state of the word. But it means this, having supreme power and authority. But there's a false understanding about God's sovereignty. A false understanding about how God's supreme power and authority works. And when Jesus began to confront their false understanding of God's sovereignty, the people who just moments before said, aren't your words filled with grace? Gracious words that God would liberate the captives. Gracious words of good news to the poor that you don't have to stay poor. Good news to the oppressed that God's willing to do a breakthrough. Good news to those that are blind that God will give you enlightenment of the eyes. That was gracious words. That's Jesus saying that God has an ability to do what you and I can do for ourselves. It's the good news of His kingdom. That God's kingdom and rule can come and sit upon the works of sin and what others have done to us and what we have brought upon ourselves and the curses that God's kingdom can come and sit upon and break the curses off our life that we can walk in the design and the purpose that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Those were gracious words. That's the grace of God is available. The grace of God has appeared to every man that He might save us. That's not just save to heaven. That's sozo. That's make us whole. That's deliver us. That's preserve us. That's God's got grace upon grace upon grace. He's got more grace than just to regenerate you. He's got grace to heal the brokenhearted. He's got grace to make our damaged emotions whole. He's got grace to set us in a broad place. He has grace to remove mountains of oppression and setbacks. But then He confronts the reason why some people don't experience the grace. And the very same people 
who got excited about grace then were filled with wrath towards him. And the truth is, some of you mature brothers and sisters in here who are in impartation phase and you're walking in your kingdom assignment, you'll learn that the reality as the kingdom advances through your life by the Spirit of God and the work of Christ through you, that there's not just shots taken at you from the outside of the church. That there's also shots taken by the enemy through brothers and sisters that you love and walk with and they're saved and they're children of God, but there's still shots taken from the outside and the inside. I love all my brothers and sisters. I love every genuine, true, born-again believer, regardless of denomination, regardless of any of that. But there are many things when it comes to how the kingdom of God works. When it comes to Jesus not just being Lord and Savior, but the way of Jesus. That you'll get shot at by those who don't understand yet the ways of the kingdom. Jesus says, listen, in the days of Elijah, after he prayed and he shut up the heavens, no rain for three and a half years, he says there was all kinds of covenant widows in that time in Israel. And yet the, I sent, God sent the prophet to a widow outside of Jerusalem to provide for why because he says listen a prophet no prophet is accepted here's the point the gracious words of the kingdom is is that through Jesus your life can change physically emotionally mentally spiritually that's the gracious words but the gracious words, in order to be experienced, there has to be an accepting of it. What that means is, is a false belief of sovereignty is if it was God's will, it wouldn't be this way. If God really wanted me to free, then He would have freed me. If God really cared, I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through. No, no, listen. You have to hear the gracious words of what God has made available in Christ, but then you have to accept it. That is appropriating it by faith. You and I have to reach out in expectation and confident assurance that God's not a man that He should lie. And if He said, I will do it or I've done it, then He'll do it because He's already accomplished it in Christ when we reach out and take Him at His word. If you sit back and just believe, well, if it's God's will, He'll do it. I'll just fall into it. He'll just, no, 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 no. All those widows in Israel, God would have sent the prophetic word. You say, help me understand. See, listen, the prophet represents experiencing in the moment God's will for you. That's what prophetic means. Prophetic means a now encounter with what God has declared. And so when Jesus says He sent the prophets, He sent the prophets to those people to have a now encounter with what God's will was. Why did they get filled with wrath? Because they're saying, well, why wasn't God's prophets sent to God's people to have a now encounter with what God's will is? And He says, because you have to accept. 
have to receive. You and I can't sit back passively and experience all the promises that are yes and amen in Christ. You have to take God at His word. And biblical faith has an action. There is a response when you believe God. There is a response when you believe the good news that there's another way. And when you believe God's not a man that He should lie, the Holy Spirit will lead you in what that response looks like. That response is your faith. That's why in Hebrews 11, 1, when it talks about faith, it says, now faith is. Meaning, faith is the way to receive the experience in the moment of the gracious words that God has for your life and for you. For it is by grace through faith that you're saved. Well, that's not just regeneration. It's by grace through faith that you experience Jesus undoing the things that we talked about in our life. Don't allow a false belief in sovereignty to talk you out of the promise of God that's yes and amen in Jesus. Listen, you can look to other good brothers, you can look to other good sisters, you can look to people you love for and care for, but you can't let them be the example of all that God has for you. Because if their example isn't lining up with all God has promised and the covenant He cut with you through the shedding of His Son, Jesus' blood, and Jesus' body being broken, then you can't allow that to be your standard. You can't say, well, I wouldn't go through it if it wasn't God's will. No, no, no. There's a lot of things we face. You have to accept God's word. You have to reach out by faith and take it in order to experience it. You can't sit back passively. That widow didn't sit back passively. That's why God sent. Naaman didn't sit back passively. When he heard that there's a God in Israel that could cleanse him of his leprosy and he heard it through the servant girl in his house, he sent said, I believe. Do it for me, Lord. Faith without a work, without a demonstration is useless. It, it, it can't cause the Word of God to be quickened in our life. God right now is challenging some of you. He's saying, listen, you know my gracious words. You know what I've said in my Word. You know the promises I have that are yes and amen, but you're allowing a false understanding of sovereignty to keep you. And that's why Jesus at the end he says, watch this, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. That's why the whole New Testament thing, he says is declaring the acceptable year of the Lord and then Paul says today's the day of salvation. You don't have to wait another day for Jesus to liberate you from your spiritual captivity. You don't have to wait another day for Jesus by the Spirit of God to heal your broken hearted. Today is the day of salvation. Why? Because us experiencing the salvation is not based upon us. It's not based upon our achievement. It's based based upon what God has done in Jesus Christ. And that's the good news of the kingdom. But we have to receive it because we believe in the character of the one who promised it. God's not like you and me. He, don't, he fears no one. Therefore, He has no need to lie. He has no need to exaggerate. Everything He says, He absolutely has done and can do. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.